everybody. Welcome to the Maxon Inflatable Boats Creek Adventures podcast. I am Trevor Rogers, joined as always by my good friends and fishing partners, Dalton Wortham and Chris Queen. The Creek Adventures podcast is presented by our good friends at Lone Bison Fly Tying Tables. LoneBisonFlyTyingTables.com, premium quality functional art. And as always, the Creek Adventures podcast are supporters of the Oklahoma River Warriors. Make sure that you go ahead and follow them and give them a, a, a like on Facebook and support their mission to make sure that we are keeping our uh, scenic rivers and all of our water sources uh, in our state um, uh, as clean as possible. And tonight we have a guest that we've been looking forward to chatting with for quite a while. Mr. Ed Fight, the water quality manager for the Grand River Dam Authority and longtime steward of the Upper Illinois River. And Ed, I, I, I'm so glad that you hopped on with us tonight. Dalton and Chris have been singing your praises and you're, you're the man, the myth, the legend of, of the Upper Illinois River and, and everywhere in Northeast Oklahoma. So I, I can't wait to pick your brain. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you this evening. And uh, it's going to be an interesting hour for your listeners uh, in that you have the old river coot himself live <laughs> and everything's going to be unedited. And there's no telling what will ramble through my mind as I <laughs> attempt to answer a question. This could be on the par of a Donald Trump interview. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, no. <laughs> that well, could jive well with our audience, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's important for your audience to remember this. This is this is an edtoid. An edtoid is something that would be factually correct in my way of thinking, but other people would call bovine excrement. There's nothing to be learned by the second kick of a mule. So that will start us off this evening. <laughs> We're already learning. Okay. I feel Nothing like that you learned that you didn't learn after the first one, right? <laughs> that needs to be on a sticker or a t-shirt at least, right? Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Somewhere. It's pretty good. But you know, you guys are the king of fishing. I have we uh, try. I've spent my career trying to improve water quality. And I want to say that literally thousands of people have taken pause along my career path of nearly four decades and have lent their time, expertise, money and efforts so that the synergy of what we've been doing has actually resulted in what you guys are now doing where you're seeing smallmouth bass in the Illinois River that are ranging upwards of seven pounds. Now, granted, some of those are reservoir fish, uh, strains that have been introduced in 10 killer that have migrated or maybe been uh, released into the river by anglers that have caught those out of their live wells. But all in all, the fishery in the Illinois River is spectacular right now. And uh, the, only, the only fish that I don't advertise regularly for is, the, is largemouth bass. And predominantly the largemouth bass to me was more abundant in the early 80s at the beginning of my career because of the opaque conditions of the water. It wasn't as clear. And so uh, that would be the only, you know, and I'm not, let me say this, I'm not the expert. You'd have to get my fishery cousins like, uh, uh, I see that gnat flying across there. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to swipe at it. Uh, Jim, Jim, Jim Burroughs at the uh, Department of Wildlife Conservation uh, would be the person that I would talk to because he is the stream supervisor. And so I wouldn't want to fill in any gaps or mislead any of the anglers that might be listening. Regardless, you've got a direct hand in the improvement of that watershed, sir. So we are extremely blessed to, to talk with you tonight. You know, ever since we cranked up this podcast, 
um, and you know, you and I being coworkers, my mind immediately um, was like, dude, we got to have Ed on. So mm-hmm. um, Chris, Trevor, some coworkers or bosses possibly may listen to this from GRDA. So we'll keep our regular uh, Creek Adventure I'm, shenanigans to no, a I'm minimum. A, I'm actually, <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm actually quite um, proud of the um, amount of off hours work that you and Ed do for GRDA uh, off the clock, uh, promoting uh, all the great things that GRDA does. And I, I've, I've seen you write emails at two in the morning on a camping trip uh, about work stuff. You just, you just don't quit and you love it so much. And was that good? Was that good for uh, the boss? Thank, the thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, those of us that are occupying state positions these days, generally have a passion for something that's in our career path uh, that ties into our day-to-day work because, you know, the, the work, the work environment has changed. And if, if you, if you don't have a passion for what you're doing this day and age, you don't stick, you don't stay. And so to mm-hmm. your point, you're absolutely correct. And so uh, Dalton's not quite as old as I am. Matter of fact, he might be eligible to be my grandson. He's that young. <laughs> uh, for those ladies that, list, ladies that are listening, he is married and has children, so he's not available, but he is a good fisherman and probably <laughs> spend time with you doing that. But that's all you're going to get out of Dalton. But uh, hey, I got Ed, I got to take you back real quick because you, you said when you first started having your um, experiences on the river, and maybe that's when your employment began with the uh, Scenic River, but um, it was a different river. So yeah, you talked about, uh, uh, you know, water clarity specifically but what was what was the when was that and what was the river like so uh, there was this uh event that occurred i would say in 1963 and none of you were alive then okay nope. and i happened to be uh my uh, great-grandfather uh, had, had this place where i live along the illinois river north and east of Tahlequah, and happened to be down at the river one afternoon it was an overcast day. It was in the fall with my grandfather, my father, and my uncle. And back then, we had toy cap guns that had the paper caps and uh, pot, pot metal with the white handles. We get a couple of them uh, down at the, uh, you could buy those at the uh, grocery store. I think they might have been three or four dollars for the pair and the plastic hosters. And so, wandering along the banks of the Illinois River, actually the bluff area where I live, it's about 12 feet above the water approximately, and uh, I dropped one of those toy cap guns into the river. And after my grandfather, uh, or my father gave me a a spanking and my grandfather held me at bay, to this day, 60 years later, basically, I remember vividly that cap gun laying on the bottom of the Illinois River, and I could see it, and I could count the rocks around it. It was that clear. And uh, my uh, father and uncle meandered down this rock shelf that gradually uh, declined into the water or onto a gravel bar where they get in the water. And they took off their uh, layers of clothing, got down to their t-shirts and, and boxer underwear, and they waded out in the river into what looked to a little boy then to be just a foot or so of water was over their heads. They had to swim down to get that, get that pistol. And uh, that would have been in the early 60s. Fast forwarding, I uh, 
the uh, started into my adolescence years where I could get away from my parents and I'd come to the Illinois River where I live now and and we'd go floating and uh, I remember that the river was becoming opaque and that we were starting to see algae growth and uh, remember fishing in some places and you have to clean your uh, bluer your hook uh, to uh, make the next cast or uh, put the next bait down to uh, fish and uh, and it seemed like in the 80s it got progressively worse and uh, so you know I've just kind of watched this but I've also watched with interest the growth that has occurred during my career. The population in the watershed has grown more than threefold. It's 180,000 when I started. And now we're, uh, we're uh, going, we're eclipsing 600,000 people. And some of the demographers that I've been talking with are suggesting and the evidence they're putting forward suggests that we will double the population again, somewhere out around 2045, 2050. And I probably won't be around to see that, but that's interesting because in the Illinois River watershed, there's only 1.1 million acres. And that included Lake Francis at the time, Tim Keller Reservoir, which accounts for about 35 miles of the Illinois River and uh, its inundation area and it's and then got tributaries so forth. But where I'm going is that in the, in the 1980s, when I started, if there were only 180,000 people in the watershed, then that meant there conceivably, if everybody were equal, six acres of land for each inhabitant to use. Today, we're down to an acre and a half and going forward, we'll be down to uh, somewhere, if it's 1.2, we'll be down to uh, 0.9 acres. And if it's 1.4, we'll be down to 0.7 acres per person. And what's interesting is that uh, as I started my career, there was a slot limit on the Illinois River uh, that was put in uh, shortly after I came where there were, you could keep six bass, uh, five under nine inches, one over 12. And then that changed. And, uh, but anyway, where I'm going with this is that I'm proud of the anglers because it used to be the Scenic Rivers Commission and the Wildlife Department, Department of Wildlife Conservation proper title. We actually teamed up in the 80s, in the early 90s, and we had several releases of uh, catfish in particular into the river, channel cat, and uh, released fish and so forth because anglers back then tended to harvest more fish. And, and the, the slap on the back that I want to give to the anglers today, and we'll talk about this probably more in the, in the uh, podcast, but anglers are now returning the majority of the fish to the river. They're taking pictures, they're having uh, replicas made if they catch a really nice fish, snap a shot, a picture or two and, and release it back into the environment. And, uh, it reminds me of a trip when I went to Minnesota and here I go with the old coot stories. I went with my dad and one time in late September, we were off a point on Beltane Lake up in uh, by uh, Nevis, Minnesota. And I caught six smallmouth bass and all of them were uh, four pounds to five pounds and put them on a stringer. And we had some men with us, but anyway, we mounted a couple of them. We ate the rest of them and, to this day, I've never kept a smallmouth bass since, since I mounted the fish for my dad, gave him one, me one, put on the wall, and then we ate the rest of them had for dinner. I won't do that anymore because, uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, going forward back to the rhetoric I was throwing the rambling is that the anglers today realize the importance of taking care of the biological, chemical, and physical considerations of our streams. 
because without that, without the abatement of trash, I mean, everybody every day picking up two pieces of trash and doing something with it, we're not going to have a resource like the Illinois River when the population doubles. It's going to take everybody realizing, stop, look around, what can I do to make the river better? And that could be simply just packing out what you pack in. And uh, so anyway, that's kind of, that's the mission statement for our podcast tonight. Love it. And, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think overwhelmingly there is a shift um, in people that are um, enjoying the outdoors, you know, within the last three years, the pandemic, it created a giant boom. And you're always going to have, you know, dummies that are going to leave diapers and their camp behind. And the, But overwhelmingly, yeah, people are aware of their impact. Um, and especially on the Illinois River, everybody I've talked to. So back, I'm from South, you know, this guys, I'm from Southwest Oklahoma, but rivers weren't really a thing to me down there. We were close to the red, but it was just all farm ponds and stuff. So rivers and streams are all new to me relatively moving up here to Northeast Oklahoma. And my experience on the upper Illinois is that people are saying that have been on it for 30 years, that this is, this is quite the best they've seen it ever um, in its current form. Well, uh, Trevor and uh, Chris, uh, Dalton is spot on. Uh, but the other thing I'll remind everyone of is that, and in, in our slides that we'll maybe go through later, I've got some slides from the 1920s that show the John boats on the Illinois River and the fishermen. And we had the fishing camps. Uh, Dunlap's fishing camp up by Lake Francis is still there. Some of the other camps are still there that the remnants of the little, the cabins were approximately 10 foot square, maybe 12 foot square. And people would drive over and they would stay for days, you know, on, and the, most of the roads, majority of the roads going to those cabins were dirt roads and the tires weren't the quality. So people came, they stayed, they didn't roam around like, the uh, ingress egress that we have today and, the, and you know, we we'll drive a hundred miles, go fishing and then go home that night. They'd come and stay for days. And but anyway, where I'm rambling off to is that before we started, after World War II, building all the lakes in Oklahoma, in this part of the United States, the way you went fishing is you went to a stream or you went to a pond or a watershed somewhere that had natural impoundment and you would fish. Then we started after World War II impounding the reservoirs. And one of the first reservoirs was, uh, and that was during the run-up to World War II was the Pensacola Project, Grand Lake. And that lake was built, one for it was a reclamation district starting out. Conservation district was the purpose of the Grand River Dam Authority, but as the war ramped up, the government, federal government took over that uh, project as Lakefield. They used the, uh, as I call it, the uh, white coal. White coal is hydropower coming out of that facility to generate mm. electricity so that they could run the Mid-America Industrial Park and the war machine making ammunition and the other things the soldiers needed and to provide power over to, I believe, Tulsa to the aircraft manufacturer there. Some of that power maybe made its way there. But, uh, you know, the war machine was very hungry and they had to have power. But Anyway, after the war concluded, we started building all these lakes, uh, Ulaga, Tinkiller, Fort Gibson, you know, the, the 50s, the late 40s and 50s was the uh, lake building deal. And so all these new lakes were there. Families, the baby boomers were starting. They would go to these lakes. You could buy a really nice boat 
and a motor and uh and they weren't the immaculate fishing boats of today but you, mm. could get a, you could get a nice boat for a couple thousand dollars with a motor and trailer and uh, people would go to lakes and they would build little cabins like those fishing camps i'm referencing to but now what's happened is there's so many folks that want to have access to the lakes the land values and the cost of owning a boat the cost of having a cabin have outstripped most folks ability to pay for something like that that uh, uh, unfortunately so what's happened now there's 78,000 600 plus miles of streams in Oklahoma. It was canoes and John boats. Then the kayaks have started on the scene and the, and the fishing rafts and so forth. And people now can go to Walmart, actually. They don't have to go to uh, OKC or Tulsa Kayak or one of these other major suppliers that we've been blessed with in the state. They can buy it at one of these uh, uh, package stores. And they can outfit, outfit their family of four for Two or three thousand dollars with nice watercraft life jackets paddles and the things they need and everybody dalton to your point where you were raised up i'm sure there's a stream in southwest oklahoma that is as important to you as illinois has been through my childhood and through my adult life and uh, i know i've made a run several times with legislators across the state during this 40 years i'm talking about to try to set aside certain numbers of streams in Oklahoma as scenic rivers. They don't all have to be Ozark uplift or Washita uplift rivers that have clear limestone backed clear water uh, conditions and smallmouth bass. Uh, uh, we looked at the uh, Beaver Creek south of uh, uh, Duncan. Oh yeah, looked, that's right looked, by me. We've looked at some portions of the Cimarron out in Payne County. We have uh, looked at the uh, Tchaikovsky up by uh, Blackwell and uh, um, oh, the Representative Dale DeWitt from that community, uh, Brannard, Brammerd. Uh, excuse me, folks, if I uh, have uh, done uh, damage to the name of that community, I didn't mean to. But uh, even uh, we tried to make the Spring River a tributary to the uh, Grand Lake, a scenic river in the uh, late 80s. And uh, one of the best wildlife fisheries in the state, nobody knows that. And uh, there, there are really some nice walleye in the Spring River. You got to fish. We, the, the do we the control lake. those watersheds, the elk in the spring, or do we, do we monitor? I know you mentioned that the other day. Well, certainly uh, in my role, you know, I, uh, one of the things, if anybody want to be critical of me about recreation on our rivers in the state, is that my automatic default when it comes down to uh, rivers is I'm always going to weigh in first on water quality. I've, I've always been a guy that if you take care of the biological, chemical, and physical considerations of a river, then that river is going to provide opportunities for fishing, for camping, for uh, recreation and, and sunbathing and, and whatever you want to do. And so I'm at fault for doing that, but uh, the, uh, so Spring, springing off that thought pattern. Uh, one of the things that I have learned is I, I uh, championed along with, again, a thousand folks or more that helped me, a uh, federal lawsuit eventually got to the U.S. Supreme Court. We didn't win it outright, but we have a court case that says upstream states must meet a downstream state's water quality standards, and the burden of proof is on the downstream state. And so what I've learned is that 
Uh, as a state employee, I might go out and pull some water samples, but if I try to use those in a federal court, the upstream state may have varying uh, analysis different than mine for their upstream reach of the same river or the same watershed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I have uh, uh, defaulted to where I rely solely on the United States Geological Survey to uh, go out as an impartial third party and pull water samples so that it takes all the ambiguity uh, out of uh, discussing water quality because, uh, you know, the, the uh, USGS uses uh, techniques that Newell created back in the 1800s out in New Mexico at his camp of instruction. Those, those are the basis for the water sampling techniques that we do today. And uh, so they've not changed much. Technology is better. And certainly it's not as labor intensive, but I'm focused on answering your question. I'm focused on the, where the Neosho River comes into Oklahoma. It drains uh, all of Southeast uh, Kansas into the Grand Lake of the, Cher- uh, of the Cherokees. And the Spring River uh, uh, also drains part of Southeast Kansas and Southwest Missouri. Elk River, uh, the Illinois, the Flint Creek, the Barren Fork. And uh, I uh, have worked with our ECOS team at GRDA to make sure that we have sampling in place so that we can know and have a, a baseline all the time as to what's, what's happening, particularly the Joplin area and the Spring River and the Illinois River uh, are seeing phenomenal growth. And that growth is, is gonna continue. And so uh, a further thought on that is we'll be deploying at some point very shortly, hopefully through the USGS, we're gonna take a look at pharmaceuticals, microplastics, oh, wow microplastics, we want to look at hormones, and we want to look at other emerging uh, contaminants that are coming through wastewater treatment plants. And so we're starting, and we're not trying to point a finger at any particular community, industry, or group. What we're trying to do is establish a baseline so that we can prepare for when the water resources that GRDA manages comes under pressure by doubling of the population that we'll have a general idea based on real science that's uh, been cataloged over hopefully periods of years, not just uh, a random go out for three or four years and pull some samples and then come up with an average and then wait 10 years and go do that again. Hopefully we'll be like the beat cop on the street in any large metropolitan area where we're walking the sidewalk at night, we're checking the door to make sure they're locked. And if we find a door that's unlocked, then we know where to go look for an issue that might re- be related to uh, water quality. So, so, so question with that real quick, Ed, and and this came from a, a water quality board uh, meeting that I listened into. Uh, who who's the enforcer? Let's say that OWRB or GRDA or, or whoever it is that finds samplings of uh, that that indicate. Uh, you know, pollution, contamination, uh, total phosphate levels that are higher than they should be. Uh, who, who actually enforces that? Is that the EPA or is that? Well, Oklahoma is a primacy state. We have been delegated authority from the EPA to establish, uh, once our water quality standard, we establish those, we have to still send those down uh, for review by EPA and conduct a uh, triennial review of our water quality standards, have them approve what we do. But 
I think where we have migrated, most states have, we're not looking to pick a fight. We're not, uh, we're not looking to go out and every time somebody has a hiccup with a wastewater treatment plant to immediately sound the alarms and start the enforcement actions. We're looking for partnership approaches. We're looking at ways that as communities are growing and we're seeing shifts in population in areas or whatever, we start trying to help them do the planning now, start putting together the money and hopefully deploying the proper response. And, and, and in this case, I'm kind of talking about a wastewater treatment plant or some kind of, you know, we know what the fix needs to be and how we get there uh, so that, you know, we can't just put a wastewater treatment plant online in a couple of years. It's, it's gonna be a, a 10 year run up by the time you start scoping the plan uh, having the engineers really get down and you start having the environmental experts look at the uh, particular processes that are incorporated in that wastewater treatment system. And then uh, getting cost estimates, putting your money together and then putting it out to bid and, you know, building that thing. So, you know, that's what we did when we established, I'm, I'm rambling around with our water quality standards here, but we assigned a new water quality standard to our scenic rivers uh, back in the 2000s following the uh, Fayetteville case that I, I mentioned earlier where we uh, water quality standards apply upstream to upstream states is we established a 0 0.037 milligrams per liter. And let me put this in layman's terms, parts per million. So yeah. if there's a million parts in a column of water, then we would have 0.037 parts in that column B. Just you couldn't even see it because it would be uh, you know pretty pretty minute uh, number. But that's and what Ed, you you know this, but we had because um, uh, I think we talked about this when we been out on the river floating together. But uh, we had Dr. Ryan King, uh, who's a professor in uh, at Baylor University, who was um, good friend uh, to all of us. He's a good friend. Yes. Great. Yeah. Great dude. But he was, his team was responsible for collecting that data and helping um, uh, Oklahoma and Arkansas find what that value should be. And so I'm not, not saying he, he decided that, but he, he was in charge of the study that uh, uh, and collecting the data to, to get to that magic number that 37 um, parts per million. Uh, so he, he, he actually came in following the, uh, development of that standard and enactment of the standard. And, okay. And we phased, we phased in the 037 standard over about a 10 year or excuse me, we phased, phased that standard in. And that was a, that was the 75th percentile of the 1999 Clark report, which looked at 63 water sheds or basins throughout the United States the study has approximately 80 something uh, major sampling sites. It was the, it relied heavily on one of the first nationwide efforts that we had for water quality. It was the hydraulic benchmark network that was deployed in the sixties. And so uh, they looked at that and there was a couple of streams, in, you know, close to us uh, that they looked at in this array, but Anyway, long and short of the story, they chose the 75th, 75th percentile, uh, uh, the 50%, 50th percentile in that study was 0 
and the 25th percentile was 0 0.014. And so when that was put in play, the states of Arkansas and Oklahoma agreed that we would phase it in over a 10-year period. And as we got towards the end of that 10-year period, we re review it. And uh, there wasn't total agreement after that 10-year period. And so we didn't want to have any more prolonged court cases or disagreement because when people lawyer up, and this is nothing against lawyers, but when there's potential conflict and there's a lawsuit, people tend not to talk. They tend not to try to say, what if we did this or what if we did that or how could we help you with this or that? And so it, it, sh it short changes what gets done. And so anyway, North, Northwest Arkansas leadership came forward and they offered to retain a, uh, a quality scientist, uh, top-notch scientist to come in and review the standard. And so we agreed to that and they paid for it. And Dr. King and his team came in and they actually found that uh, our geometric, we, we did the 037 standard on a 30 day geometric mean. And under Dr. King's work, his team recommended that we should look at it at a rolling average of six months, which that didn't sit well with some folks in Oklahoma, but you know, really when you sat down and you listened to Dr. King, you listened to the rationale, this was not about an exercise of saying you're right or you're wrong. This was about how do we find, find a middle ground where everybody's going to work because everybody committed when Arkansas offered to pay for the study that whatever the results of the study were, we would get hand in hand and try to make it work. And uh, Dr. King also validated what Dr. Uh, uh, Riley Needham from Conoco, who is now retired at Bartlesville, he released a paper in the early 2000s that suggested that nuisance algae in a river like the Illinois starts promulgating or growing at 0.035 parts per million. And Dr. King's group, it was interesting, no discussion was made. It was about let's validate 037. And Dr. King's group came out with the exact findings that Dr. Riley Needham came up with, and that was 0.035. And so we haven't tweaked the standard to bring it down to that, but it's interesting that when you go and you look at the numbers and you go back in time, and so if anybody wants to fact check me, you go back to the 1968s uh, period and look at Dr. Vollenweider's work, and you come forward to the 70s and you look at Dr. Kratzer's work, K-R-A-T-Z-E-R, or you look at Dr. Maybeck's work in the early 80s, M-E-Y-B-E-C-K, and then you start coming forward and, and you run into Dr. Uh, S.L. Burke's work where he picked up where uh, EPA left off in the mid-80s where we're trying to find middle ground between the two states on phosphorus. He wrapped up a report that was supposed to have been concluded in the 80s and the mid-90s, and then the Clark report comes out, then you have a couple other little incidental reports, but then Dr. King, and you line all that up over the 60 years or so that we've been doing these studies, 50 years anyway, we're in the ballpark. We know what, we know where we should be to have a, a water quality standard around 0 0.03. Now, per, my personal favorite is I always like the 50th percentile. That's the reasonable number because when I watch, and I'm not a scientist, 
But when I watch, you know, the bad, the, the unfortunate thing is, let's say the wastewater treatment plants always get a bad rap that the mm -hmm. operators don't know what they're doing, but really your, your average or not your average, but most of your operators in these wastewater treatment plants scattered all over the United States, they don't want to run the liquor or the mixes in their, in their, uh, clarifiers and their works on those wastewater treatment plants at 75% or 100% of what they will do. They want to try to ratchet that plant down where it's hitting 50% of what that permit limit is. If it's one, they want to be half. If it's two, they want to be one because mm -hmm. the rainfall, the storm events come and they know they're going to have a slug of be here I go, I'm sorry, biological oxygen demand will come into the system and that robs the oxygen out of the uh, out of the processes and 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 kills off the process and so they're mindful of that so they want to have some wiggle room they want to be able to have extra room say that a plant's on automation on a friday night some of these smaller plants don't have the budgets to have an operator 24 7 so they'll close the gate and go to automatic operations after five o'clock six o'clock in the evening and if they have a small processor in town that say is uh, uh, processing sweet potatoes on the weekend. And the operator doesn't know that. They gotta have margin for error because there'll be a slug of BODs that will come into the system that will, will put pressure on the uh, process water. And so uh, that's, that's, what, that's what we're getting at. And that's the kind of conversations that we're having right now. We have a really, really robust group of people from Arkansas, Oklahoma, Cherokee Nation and EPA that uh, behind the scenes, we have been sitting down uh, once a week, four o'clock on Thursdays, and we've been talking about the issues. And on July the 13th, looks like the host is going to be the Cherokee Nation Casino and Hotel, uh, Hotel and Casino. I don't know what they call themselves at Cylon Springs. We're going to bring this working group together and have a public meeting so we can talk to the public about where we've been working since the pandemic hit. The pandemic has taken everything off the rails. You know, we talked about supply chain, talked about people, we, we're going to talk about people being outdoors and so forth. But, uh, but you know, really there's some good work going on. Whereas in the 80s, I was guilty of this and so were many others. We wanted to have a battle. We wanted to have a prolonged drug out. You know, we're right, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. And nobody was listening or talking. And honestly, most people that come to Illinois River or any other watershed in the United States, they have a real good idea where they live about 20 miles in, in a diameter around where their home is, what streams are there, what lakes are there, what roads get me there, who's doing what in that 20 mile circle. But if someone at Tahlequah very seldom goes to Northwest Arkansas, they see the Illinois River every day and they just assume the same things are happening to the Illinois River upstream and they have no idea what's going on. And then they drive up there once in a 10 year period and they see all of this growth and then it starts to soak in. And uh, so that's what we've been working on. And the Illinois river has about a 30 year jump on most streams in Oklahoma. But I'm gonna tell you right now, there's people that live in every watershed in the state of Oklahoma that are crusaders for those streams. There is somebody in each of those watersheds that is tying flies tonight or thinking where they're going to go fish what hoe or noodle or whatever this weekend. And you have people that are looking at roadmaps or online. I look at roadmaps. I'm sorry. I am old. 
Thank you to the state of Oklahoma. They still print a roadmap, but most people are going to go get on their computer and they're going to scope out on Google how they can get to a particular stream. And one of the things that you really need leaned on the Oklahoma Water Resources Board, and I was a member there, and I don't know if it's electronic or not, is get their water atlas for our reservoirs in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, we uh, did a, a centennial version of that in, uh, at the uh, 100th year birthday, uh, 2000, excuse me, 2007 for uh, Oklahoma. And then we've done a couple of uh, extra editions when I was on the board because they were such a popular device. But tells you where the lake is, shows you the topography around the lake and the bottom of the lake, shows you the fishing access points when it was built, who owns it, what the rules and regs are, some of the things. And anyway, it's pretty neat. That's one of the things I'd throw out there. Get a gasoteer. Gasoteer. Yeah, there is. You need a gasoteer. There is an interactive map on the Oklahoma uh, Water Resources Board uh, website that does have all that information if anybody wants to uh, check that out. But you could still get the Atlas version and sit in your chair. (laughs) <laughs> the electricity some point goes out and the cell phone tower goes offline like I'm experiencing today and caused a little ease, a little consternation with me trying to get on the podcast. I was worried. And uh, both my both my cell phones don't have signals since this morning for whatever reason. But when you get to rural Oklahoma, get your gasoteer and get you that fishing atlas, get that water atlas and have it with you and keep it in your car because you may not have s- signal. And so, okay, uh, Ed, Ed, real quick, what what are what is it that you're saying? Gasseteer? You buy them at Walmart. There's a map of Oklahoma that uh, shows every county. Okay, okay. You know, it's uh, it's red. It's, uh, it's called a gasseteer. Gasseteer. Okay. New words tonight. I'm dig. I'm digging it. Yeah. I. Uh, I mean, I've. I've bought print. And I might be pronouncing that wrong. I don't have one here in front of me, but I would. I would show it to you if I had it, but. Usually up the front of a Walmart or something, it looks like a road atlas, but it's all the county roads and all the water uh, is pretty much reflected on these things. And they're usually about 40 pages long. You go to the very back cover of it and it shows the whole state and it has it broken down. You go to that page number. It'll show the page number where you want to go and then you flip through it and you got a quick map of the area that you're in. It's better than a topo map. Very I mean, cool. Is, 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 they're about they're about fifteen to twenty dollars, and That's usually awesome. they're up in the front of a Walmart or in uh, the mapping section of Walmart uh, or uh, okay. Academy or Target or wherever. No, that's that's really cool because usually when I am, we are bouncing around between spots, and it, it's time to uh, uh, to look on Google Maps or whatever that Apple thing they do is, and or on X, and uh, that's about the time we don't have signal. So. Well, I'm going to snap a picture of mine. I've got one for Arkansas and one for Oklahoma, and I carry them with me religiously because I'll get off somewhere, and I I want to know how do I get to this particular tributary, or how can I make a shortcut to get around to a point, and uh, our roads washed out. How can I get around? And uh, it saved me many times when I'd have the handheld deal, and it wouldn't work, okay? I was dead in the water, right. so got real wise, but... So would this be considered an Ed Toy? No, this would be actually well. See, an Ed Toy. <laughs> this, this is how you cuss in church. You ready? 
Mm-hmm. An intuit is something that's factually correct in my mind that I would argue that nobody could uh, could not provide a defense that would say I wasn't wrong, but others would consider it to be bovine excrement. Okay, <laughs> <Remember> that. <laughs> so if you're in church and your pastor or a deacon gets up says something that you don't agree with in the sermon or whatever, you just jump up top of your lungs and say bovine excrement to that. They can't, test throw, that they, out. Can't, they can't throw you out of church. That's that's the polite way that you tell somebody they're full of. Now, have, oh, have you actually tried that in church to prove that they can't throw you out? Uh, <laughs> that's a no comment. Look at that. <laughs> Ooh, you can't fact check me on that one, can you? <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a, that was a plead the fifth uh, uh, facial expression, <laughs> listeners, and uh, rightfully so. So let me get my wife in here. She works at the church. Hey, Terry Lynn, <laughs> would you do me a favor and make a trek to the shop? And on the new workbench, there should be some of those gasseteers laying there. They're kind of red and white, look like a big atlas. There'll be two of them laying there. Okay. They may be under a box. Would you go grab one of those, bring them back so I can get my cousins, Trevor and Chris and uh, Dalton convinced I know what I'm pronouncing correctly. <laughs> i love it we're getting learned it. well so you're not, you're not getting learned i'm telling you man people don't want to go down the river with me because i talk non-stop and i'm trying to abide to uh five minutes shut up it that's why that's why we wanted to put a microphone in your in front of your face so we could soak all of that up oh gosh i, I you know i i'm really going to be thankful to your fo- listeners of this conversation because i've had the great pleasure to work for them and the things that I've done, nobody, nobody really gets to serve in a capacity as long as I served. I was a director of a small agency that was focused on three rivers. And I did that for 33 years before Mr. Sullivan, Dan Sullivan, bless him. The legislature wasn't going to fund scenic rivers uh, appropriations. And we want to be relying only on what we could take in from the commercial float operation permits and use fees and camping fees and maybe what grants, but Mr. Sullivan stepped up and the Grand River Dam Authority took over our scenic river program in 2016 in July. And uh, they have put a lot of money and effort into our state scenic rivers. We have six of them. <clears throat> have the, uh, of course, the Illinois River above the uh, confluence of Barron Fort Creek in Cherokee County to the state line in Arkansas with Arkansas the Flint Creek, which is a tributary about 11 miles in length in Delaware County. The Barron Fort Creek runs back to the present alignment of US 59, just north of Steelwell, about 25 miles of stream. And then, uh, then uh, the uh, upper mountain fork river above the 600 foot level mean, MSL, mean sea level of Broken Bow Reservoir to the state line. And then it comes back into LaFleur County from Arkansas and uh, da, 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 da. let's see if okay, it's, it's blurry read it to us it's got, it's got your uh, it's okay it's uh, it's got GPS grids it's the Oklahoma Atlas and gas so tier let's see here there it is I see that gazette tier okay, so like like gazette yes. okay I would call. I, I would was call saying. It gazette earth. Gazette I was. Here. I was seeing like picturing gasoline. 
That's what I thought here. too. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things I had a problem with, here's another Ed toy. So many years ago, we uh, worked with the uh, uh, United States Geological Survey and we built an interactive map for the Illinois River, particularly related to floating. And we had the river with, we had the river broken up in the three reaches, upper reach, lower and middle. And we had three colors. We had red, yellow with a W and green. And when the river was above normal flows and too, too unsafe to float in a particular reach, it would turn red on the map. And then if it were not, don't go in canoes, or kayaks, but strictly rafts, it would turn yellow with a W. And then if it was good floating, green. Somehow or another channel, one of the channels out of Tulsa came over and did a news story on it. And I was on the evening news and someone calls me, a voice from my past, Patricia Lunn, who was my 10th grade English teacher in Muskogee. <laughs> is this Edward fight? I said, it is. And this sounds <laughs> like a voice from my past. This wouldn't be Mrs. Lunn, would it be? It is. And in my younger days, when I was in her class, I was on the range and pasture team and some other things with FFA and going through high school. And so I missed a lot of my English classes mm -hmm. on field trips. And so I was not her number one student. Matter of fact, I wasn't any of theirs number one student. But anyway, she says, I had the occasion to see you on TV showing this new map on how to get around on the Illinois River. Tell me what color yellow is. Are you talking, Mrs. Lund, are you saying yellow, Y-E-L-L-O-W or Y-E-L-L-A? And she said, it's not me. It was you. You were on television. I could have sworn I heard you say yellow. And so, anyway, Eastern Oklahoma has been good to me in Western Arkansas. But anyway, Gazetteer. Gazetteer. We're going to go get one of those. Gazetteer. That's it. There it is. Okay. Anyway, that's, that goes back to that. Anyway, go get one of these rascals. And on the, you can't see it, but on the back is this shows all of the state and it's broken down into grids and then you simply go to the page number it looks like a topo but it has all the maps and section lines and all that stuff on it and road numbers so it makes it easy to get around so anyway i think we waste a lot of time on that no i love it i love it ed i i, I know you mentioned that powerpoint and i've got the screen share ability i know our viewers won't be able to check this out but i i, I want to see some of those pictures that you were talking about um uh, of, of people floating and fishing back in the day um okay. that's All just right. that's just so fascinating to me um, so you have uh, the ability to share your screen now um and chris and i'll what we'll do is we can we can screenshot some of these or share these i'd love we should share these uh when we share this podcast so people okay, can you see them way. now or i'm probably done something wrong. <laughs> on Let the me. on the bottom of your screen just click share screen Got it. Okay. And then put click the there we box. go. There you go. Okay. How you like this approach? I did this just for you. Ramblings, appetites, and ed toys related to Oklahoma Scenic Rivers, just for you today. I'm I am not seeing it, Trevor. You well, see it, Trevor? I'm, I'm not seeing it yet either. He's got a. Uh, did you click the? Let me do the slideshow and see if it comes on. Is it on? No. 
Not on. Okay. It's, some, it's something in the Zoom app where you do your share screen and then do you have one monitor or two monitors on your computer? I have only one at home, but I'm going to go to this one and see if, okay, I can see him now. I'm going to share. There it is. Ooh, there we go. All there right, here we go. Is. Here we go. All right. You ready? And then Ed, also also email this to me if you don't mind. I'm gonna I want to share a few of these pictures if that's okay to our. To I may have to give it to uh, Dalton and let him give it to you because sometimes they're a little big. But ramblings, okay. epithets, and Ed toys related to Oklahoma Scenic Rivers. Here we go. I love this. All right, here's commercial for the home office. Created GRDA at a glance. Created in the 15th Oklahoma Legislature, April 1935. Wow. Here's the key point. It's a conservation and reclamation district for the waters of the Grand River. Last bullet point, absorbed the Oklahoma Scenic Rivers Commission and its mission in July, 2016. That's why I'm here. I have nothing to lend to electricity for GRDA. Only thing I can tell people is I happened to drive by a couple of H-brackets or an H-bracket that was on fire south of Muskogee the other day and I was able to ascertain and discern that it belonged to them so that's about as close as the response they got from me <laughs> now, Ed, Ed, and that's I when i respond to? who do i talk to about that go back real quick that that grda power for progress logo how do i get that on a t-shirt or a hat that is that's in the work that's in the works buddy oh thank goodness that is well, a really really cool logo that's a hand driven. That's a hand uh, drawn one, and we got that is our first logo. Well, we got one now that we can get you real quick. That is uh, the state of Oklahoma. That even my wife has one that we can get for you pretty quick. So we'll get we'll do that for you. I'm all about it. But that is that yeah. is stinking neat. That is really cool. Okay. So but anyway, that's why I'm here. It's some of the things that we're doing. We're the ecosystem is now ramping up. GRDA is is taking the environment to the next level. Mr. Sullivan and, and the board has openly said, and the reason I stuck at GRDA, they believe that water will be more important than the generation of electricity in the next 20 years. That opened up my eyes to why I stayed. We are working on water quality monitoring. We have a new Guard de Grand Watershed Education Conservation Program, and we stole Jerry Fleming to come in, environmental uh, lawyer, uh, who's worked at Conservation Commission. She had her fingerprints all over our state water plan that we put uh, together over a five-year period that came online in 2012. We're doing a Riverology 101 class. Where that come from is my father and his father were urologists. I'm a riverologist. I work in different water than my father and <laughs> grandfather did, but I'm a riverologist, so I go around, and now we have a class that's called Riverology 101, and so it it's kind of fun. We are hanging our hat heavily on repairing protection strategies now, going back from the water's edge of the streams uh, in distances of upwards 500 to 1,000 feet to uh, remove some of the activities that can cause erosion, water impairment, nutrients, and so forth, and we're paying and landowners to idle land for 30 years at a time, writing them a big check per acre uh, to do that. We uh, have just started up in the last year and a half uh, septic tank repair replacement initiative across the watersheds. And we're uh, 
actually now uh, identifying, replacing defective water uh, treatment systems, on-site individual water treatment, wastewater treatment systems. We have shoreline cleanup efforts. If uh, you're up on the lake for long at, at Grand or on Markham Ferry, you're gonna see a brand new boat that is huge. We can now pick up those big slabs of, uh, of uh, styrofoam from old docks and floating tires and pile stuff on a boat. It's almost like a landing craft from uh, Normandy uh, oh, back wow. in the day. We have the rush for brush is returned after it was canceled uh, because of the pandemic where we're putting artificial structure in our lakes for fish habitat. And then we're, you know, of course, collaborating with other resources. And, uh, and uh, I mean, we really are making some things happen. We've got a, got a great team that's moving along. All of GRDA is involved, but specifically the eco team has really been stepping up. Okay, I wanna do an advertisement for my cousin, good friend, uh, everybody's my cousin, except about three or four people that I've run into that said, no, there's no way I'm your cousin. Don't want to be your cousin. But, uh, Tim Palmer is a guy that I've spent a considerable, considerable amount of my time throughout the decades. He uh, is an author that's written a lot of river books and uh, Tim Palmer. But this is his mission statement, and but it's also mine. Rivers are magnets for the imagination, for conscious pondering and subconscious dreams, thrills, fears. People stare into moving water, captivated as they are when gazing into a fire. What is it that draws and holds us? The rivers' reflections of our the rivers' reflections of our lives and experiences are endless. That's what we are drawn to. Now I'm gonna. This is where I'm going to argue my case. Who's the judge? Okay, this is kind of like, uh, this is like the uh, zoo at KMOD or John Erling at KRMG Radio. Somebody's got to take on the blame here. That's Chris. Okay, Chris. You're the, Chris yeah. All right, next slide is a little <laughs> boy for our listeners that's bending over in a creek. At some point when all of you four, all of us four were little folks, and my wife, Terry, who's in the background listening, someone introduced us to water, took us out, let us flip rocks over, catch crawdads, do something. And uh, I know all three of you are going to be guilty of this. Someone asked the question, did you take some of your mother's bacon out of the refrigerator and tie it to a string and lower it down a hole after a rain to catch crawdad? Oh, Yeah. Uh, is that unanimous or is that just one? I, not I bacon. That, you're stuttering now. You stuttering. I don't waste. I don't waste bacon. I, I can. I can say that with hot dogs. Hot dogs. I use bacon, sure. hot dogs, lunch hot meat, dogs. whatever. Okay, whatever so, we had in the drawer. Yeah. Okay. Pork. So when <laughs> I was gonna, so growing, to, growing up in Muskogee, I would take my mother's bacon and I'd wrap it up in a piece of of uh, foil, and I'd go on the bus with the YMCA group out to. Greenleaf State Park before the new road was built and the old spillway of Green Lake, Greenleaf Lake was there and we'd fish below it during the day, during the summer. And if the fish weren't doing real well, I didn't just waste the bacon. If I wasn't going to catch a fish with it, I'd go over and build me a little fire and I'd use the Reynolds wrap for my, for my skillet. And while I was fishing, I'd cook my bacon. Okay. <laughs> and so bacon didn't go to waste. But anyway, <laughs> good man. Next slide. Yeah. Next slide is somebody taught us. Okay. And I've already said that here we are somebody's after and 
I've got a nephew named uh, JJ that I thought as he got older, he would become a, uh, a scientist focused on water. And he's focused on some other things scientifically now. But uh, anyway, but, you know, it's just the proof of the pudding is the children. When you watch the children, all of us are embedded when we're young to like water. If we've had the occasion to grow up somewhere like Oklahoma. Now, if we grow up in downtown, uh, downtown New York City, we have a disadvantage there because those children don't really get to get out and enjoy the resources like we have. So that's, yeah. that's something I'll come back to, but, but anyway, that's, we all have learned this, but as we get older, we start chasing, uh, after gasoline fumes and perfume. Okay. As guys. And then we mm-hmm. try to go to school and, and we try to uh, get a college education. We get married. We do all these things. We try to make a livelihood. Then we have our own children, blah, blah, blah. And then as we get older, my age, you start reflecting as you're slowing down and you want to be around water. If you're not around water, you're out of place. So in Oklahoma, we have 12 distinct ecoregions. Not all of them look like the Illinois River, but they have the limestone chert bottoms, clear water that you can stand three feet in the water to your waist and you see your toes on most days. And uh, some more shots of the Illinois this old bridge is gone. The old Highway 5162 bridge, Jesus yep. Tahlequah, was pulled mm-hmm. down a number of years ago. Here's a shot off of Sparrowhawk Mountain. Uh, this That's is gorgeous. the original Goat's Bluff, just downstream or downstream of No Head Public Access area in Cherokee County. It's a Four Seasons River. Uh, Terry won't go with me. She's listening to this, but generally, if I'm going to float the river, it'll be fall, winter in spring my favorite time of the river is when the snow's on i like to be on the river when there's snow muck oh, boots wow. muck boots you you layer up uh, with polyester uh, layers and you put on a, a rain suit or something over it and just keep your head warm with a, a bombard bombardier hat or uh, and some heavy water gloves and sitting inside the kayak not to sit on top water temperatures in the 40s at least and so you know that keeps you warm but uh, the old combs bridge looking off of it and uh, river takes on a whole different meaning when you float in the winter months now i will say this my wife will not float in the winter she will not go she she uh, uh will go in the fall and she'll go in the spring but so uh, i've got a book that's written for women how to treat women I've got 13 chapters in that book, and sometime I'll uh, come back and talk about that book. I got a chapter <laughs> dedicated to men and fishing ex- exercises and the word whatever, and we won't expand on that tonight. <laughs> here's a picture where here's a picture where I'm on the river. Uh, this picture will never be replicated again. It's, it had been sleeting, and uh, I had set sail down the river, and uh, this is between Eagle Bluff and Peyton's place. And yeah. now there is a big concrete bridge. And so this, this photograph will never be replicated again. But why I like the winter months is that if you're on the Illinois River or any clear water stream in eastern Oklahoma, most rivers and the Washtenaw Uplift and, and the, and the uh, Ozark, Boston Mountains area east of the Arkansas River towards Arkansas, generally are clear water running streams. 
generally as a rule of thumb. <clears throat> if the water is, if you turn up Highway 10 to come to the river and the water's brown, turn yourself around, go back to town. Not a good day to be on a, one of these streams because brown water is an indicator it's above normal. But you can see in this picture, it's winter, it's cold, things are frozen, there's sleet on the boat. I can see every rock on the bottom of the stream. And what's really cool is when that school of shad or the uh, school of other types of fish go under your boat, they're all kind of a glacier silver blue and streak through the water. And through the canopy of trees, you can watch turkeys go to roost. You can see the deer, the elk, and on and on and on and on and on. And on. But anyway, our rivers are four season rivers. And so always go paddling with a partner. Uh, I don't I adhere to that rule because uh, uh, everyone knows that someday when I'm dead and gone, they're going to have a Viking funeral for me and somebody's going to have to put up with the stent for a few days in a certain beach of the river. Don't know what reach it will be, but uh, hopefully it'll be one that has lots of turtles and all of that. But uh, moving on. 10,000 rivers in the United States. Now, when I say rivers, that's, that's rivers that would have a road crossing sign that when you go across it, you know where you are, that most people in that particular proximity of the United States would know the rivers. That doesn't mean the, the lower order streams. Uh, so three and a half million miles of streams, uh, historically rivers. Uh, the white coal in the Northeast uh, uh, was uh, uh, caused the revolution for uh, industrial revolution. Our rivers were our transportation routes forever and ever and ever. And uh, also they were where the railroads located. It's easier and straighter lines of travel to build the rail lines adjacent to those instead of meandering up and down a mountainside with a rail line or a road. And they've been our social engine. And uh, we, as again, 78,603 miles of streams in Oklahoma, according to American Rivers, okay? And, uh, uh, or excuse me, the National Park Service and, and National Wild and Scenic Rivers Inventory, excuse me. And uh, 200 miles of rivers are designated state scenic rivers. Moving on, have six scenic rivers, Flint Creek, Illinois, Barron Fork Creek, Upper Mountain, Fork River, Little Lee Creek, and Lee Creek. Four of the six rivers headwater in Oklahoma, or excuse me, let me back up. Four of the rivers headwater in Arkansas and uh, two in Oklahoma. So, okay, the Upper Mountain Fork River headwaters down in LaFleur County goes into Arkansas, comes back into Oklahoma, and then the Little Lee Creek starts east and southeast of Steelwell, Oklahoma, confluences with the Big Lee Creek. Talked about the water quality program uh, problems. Um, actually, uh, scenic rivers were uh, contemplated before the Clean Water Act. And this is where I put my advertisement in. Listeners, if you get a chance, go to YouTube, go to Our Borrowed Waters, O-U-R Borrowed Waters. It's a video about 27 minutes long that goes into great detail about water quality and water issues is uh, put together by the Grand River Dam Authority. And you can hear me talk more about that. But anyway, Scenic Rivers Act, National Wild Scenic Rivers Act 1968, Oklahoma Scenic Rivers Act in 70, the Clean Water Act 72. And so uh, Scenic Rivers Commission 1977 and then GRDA consolidation 2016, quick rundown. Scenic Rivers, I'm not gonna read this word for word, but. Scenic rivers are afforded 
under the state law, the highest and best water quality standards that can be given to water. They are the best of the best in all of the all of the enforcement, all the resources of the state come to bear if there's any kind of issue that impacts a scenic river. Scenic rivers, uh, there's a prohibition uh, that is caused by the activities of man, uh, which results in prolonged impairment to waters. Uh, they are the highest tier outstanding resource water. And this is important. No, or in, no new or increased point source load of pollutants can be put online. So an instance that for the Illinois, the city of the city of Tahlequah has a wastewater treatment plant that discharges into the river. Let's say for this demonstration for our listeners that they were putting out five pounds of pollutants in a million gallons of water a day. They can increase their discharge to two million, but they can't up that 10 pounds. They're stuck at five pounds of pollutants per day. Okay. So we allow for increased flow, but Increase uh, pollutants we do not allow. <clears throat> so even even if the ratio is is still fifty percent of the of the the point three seven or the 037 rule, uh, still, that still would be increased loadings. Yeah. Okay. See, okay. that's that. You know, even the the solution to pollution is not dilution. And so uh, <laughs> I like it. I like so, it. So we have. Uh, we have contemplated that for a long time, but uh, we have communities, and I'll get to this slide in a minute, uh, and I'll come back to this stop, but approximately half of the uh, stream, uh, more than half really, is in Oklahoma and the main, so Arkansas is as, big as, is as big a stakeholder as we are in Oklahoma. It's their river as much as it is ours. If I had all the resources in the world available to me and all the power to wield a big stick to say I'm going to protect the river in the Illinois River Basin, uh, the entire river basin in Oklahoma. I can't do it unless we partner with Arkansas. Can't win. Can't win sure. because the headwaters are over there. So uh, we got to work together. We got to treat these resources as whole basin approaches. Can't be fragmented. Can't just do part of it. Got to do all of it. <clears throat> Here are the wastewater treatment plants that your listeners uh, can't see, but Fayetteville, Springdale, Siloam Springs, Rogers, Prairie Grove, and the Northwest Arkansas Conservation Authority in Arkansas, Tahlequah, and Westville in Oklahoma. The NACA plant is the newest to the dance. Uh, it is uh, right now getting ready to double its flow from 3.6 million gallons a day to 7.2 million gallons a day. It is permitted at one-tenth what the other wastewater plants are rated. These uh, other point source dischargers are uh, permitted at one milligram per liter phosphorus in their outfall water on, a, on an average basis. NACA is permitted at 0.1. That's a tenfold reduction. And the NACA permit has become subject of uh, concern and a lot of uh, discussions back and forth because uh, the state of Arkansas is contemplating raising that uh, permit limit from 0.1 to one milligram, which would mean a tenfold increase and plus, they're going to double the flow to 7.2 million gallons a day. The NACA would that be in the would that be in the newest plant? Is the reason for the threshold being so low just because of new technology and, and the capability that we have better now well, to process that? Well, the, the the NACA plant there was objection to it because historically the NACA plant, uh, all of the wastewater that is uh, trying to service now was predominantly going through the uh, <clears throat> 
the uh, Bentonville wastewater treatment plant, which discharges in a very, is that, that wastewater treatment facility is north and west of Bentonville and is in a very narrow valley. And it really was at capacity and it discharges into, into the Elk River, okay? So all the wastewater that was derived from Bentonville, which is on just right on the, the edge of the basin, was going in, was being discharged, uh, treated and discharged into the uh, into that receiving stream, and that and that was coming into Grand Lake. But NACA is built south of Bentonville. It is in its NACA plant is just south of the new Northwest Arkansas Airport. Okay, and so that plant um, was controversial from the planning stages, but uh, is picking up communities. There's going to pick up Centerton, Highfield, and uh, Tawny Town, and some other little communities in that part of the state, that part of the basin. And the NACA plant, this is what people need to understand, is that it's, when it builds out, ultimate build out, be 90 million gallons a day. Now, what's happened to the Illinois River Basin is we have all these wastewater treatment plants. And so some of your listeners... They'll, they'll load up and they'll head over to uh, the Buffalo River, the uh, James, the Crooked Creek, uh, the Kings River, some of those streams, and they dry up in the summer months when the Illinois doesn't. And that's a function that predominantly at low flow, the wastewater treatment plants are providing most of the yield. And so we- well, that's what I, I was going to ask that, Ed. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this, so this new NACA plant that is replacing- uh, a water treatment facility that was what's well, adding to it is is taking the burden off that uh, one plant where they don't okay. have to build the lift stations and pump all that water back up to that wastewater treatment plant. So it's move, so it's move, still move, feeding move, the elk, but the NACA plant is going to be dumped into the Illinois River watershed. It, it will be in the watershed. It will specifically go into the Osage Creek. Okay. 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 So that. Uh, Basically, all the growth in Northwest Arkansas is along that alignment that your listeners can't see. Rogers, Springdale, which our pictures mm -hmm. are uh, overcovering in Fayetteville, uh, that alignment there, five miles either side of the I-49 corridors where most of the growth is going on. And then really you can't go much further east because you have the uh, uh, Beaver Lake, which is the water supply for Northwest Arkansas. Ultimately, it flows into Table Rock and then comes back into Northern Arkansas for the uh, Greer's Ferry, Greer's Ferry and uh, uh, I'm having a uh, senior moment here. What's the other lake? Uh, Darrendale or? Greer's Ferry, Norfolk. Uh, no. Dark, Beaver? Dark, Dardanelle is, is down. No, no, Dardanelle's on the Arkansas River. So uh, okay. I'll, come, I'll come back to that. Okay. Uh, give me just a minute. I'll, my brain is locked up for some reason right now. It's locked up. Uh, okay, so real quick, then the Osage Creek is that a feeder to the Illinois River Basin? It is. It, it's a major conveyance for okay. uh, for Rogers, Springdale, and uh, to water coming out of that part of the uh, Washington County area and some of Benton County. Well, that'd be Washington County mainly. Um, let me back up. Uh, that would be Benton County. I'm sorry, is where that water is coming from. So I think my I think my question there is if you have a a new facility that inputs 
what sounds like a tremendous quantity of water and maybe I don't have my bearing there, but is, would we expect, and I'm being very, very Tahlequah centric at this point, and And, and I, I hate being that way, but what should we expect if I think that the chewy gauge four and a half foot level on the chewy gauge is what I would call normal. Do you think we'll see a new normal? The new normal has gone up. The base flow has gone up. And okay. uh, it used to be, uh, you know, we're, we're getting on the average, uh, we're getting close to 50 million gallons a day of uh, treated wastewater, you know, uh, potentially coming down the river. And uh, in the past, it's not been, you know, I, I may be a little high in my numbers. I have to go look at the permits, but um, thinking out loud, uh, 10 from Fayetteville, 12 or so right now from Springdale. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just a little bit high, but we're going to see a new high, a new higher base flow. And so I'll have to get back to you on the exact numbers, but. Uh, and I'm, I'm keeping you off your PowerPoint. I'm sorry for that, but I think that, my, that, that, that's all right. Question... But, uh, so to your point, uh, that question has been asked because what we've seen in 2008 going forward, uh, we've seen storm events that have come through this part of the world and the rivers become very flashy. It, go, it goes, mm -hmm. it goes up quicker, it goes higher and drops faster. And we're seeing a lot of stream, ero stream bank erosion. We're seeing a lot of the tributaries are chock full of gravel and silt and sand and, uh, and debris. And so we don't have a, we don't have the capacity that we used to have to in these off-stream uh, tributaries to store rain, rainwater runoff. And then we have all the clearing of land for urban sprawl and the roofs on the buildings and so forth. And so we're seeing a flashier river. We're seeing more water running off the landscape. And uh, that's a big issue. So right now we have teamed with uh, Jason Funkhauser is the principal that is leading this. It was a... Uh, uh, a brainchild of David Pickle from uh, Camp Paddle Trails, uh, a youth camp just downstream of Watts, Oklahoma, on the Illinois River that's no longer really functional. It used to have a large contingent of kids that would go to it, uh, that they're seeing floodwaters that they used to not see. And so, you know, we've had some big storms. And so uh, Jason and, and David have been talking. And so they brought me into the conversation. We brought uh, Cherokee Nation into it, and now Tulsa, Tulsa District, the Army Corps, the Little Rock our Army Corps of Engineers are working with Cherokee Nation, and we're on wrapping up, getting close to uh, a new flood study of the entire watershed to give an idea going forward what it's going to look like for the river. And uh, the, the, the previous study was done by uh, Darren Harmon and uh, Russ Dutnell in 19... 92, I believe it was, they looked at flyovers, uh, used flyovers uh, to compare to from 1958 through 1991. They focused on 79 through 91, and they would go out and vertically uh, put rebar pins in the side of eroding stream banks that would be upwards of 10 feet in, in length, and they marked those. They'd come back and measure how much a, a piece of rebar would be protruding from, protrude, I can't talk tonight, <laughs> showing how the side of the stream bank following a runoff event, how much erosion and measure that. Mm -hmm. And uh, they found from 1978 to 1991 that we had lost from Watts, Oklahoma to Tahlequah, 190 surface acres of land just to erosion. 
Oh my gosh. So, and we think that we are uh, pretty close to that. There is a uh, flood study that has been released from the Illinois River Watershed Partnership recently that has some very remarkable findings, but from a whole basin approach, this will probably be the first one. And Rihanna Hart is uh, the principal leader of that doing the work. Uh, she is a hydrologist from the uh, Little Rock office. So she's doing that work. I'll tell you stand what, I've, I've got one more. That, that, that's going to be coming out in August uh, for us to review. And then we'll probably do, uh, do, uh, have a formal uh, uh, unveiling of that study to all interested parties sometime this fall. And it's, it's about a $400,000 study. So it's a pretty significant study. It's mm -hmm. kind of, it's right there with Dr. King's study, um, mm -hmm. you know, as far as the magnitude and the importance of it. Real Moving real on, uh, we've, we've had some joint agreement. Go, uh, go ahead. Sorry, let me ask, I'll ask you one more question. And I, I don't know if we're doing, I'm loving every bit of the information, but I also wonder if, we're doing your PowerPoint justice and if we don't do something special just for it, but real quick, let me ask, ask my question. Uh, so, and this is probably my layman's brain, but if a significant portion of the water in the upper Illinois or the Illinois river basin is uh, coming from treated wastewater, and let's say for sake of argument that all of those plants are at 50% or operating at 50% or less of the regulations for what they're allowed to discharge. And so I'm, I'm thinking that should be pretty clean water. So is that- it, it really is. It is clean, clean water, Chris. Uh, the, is uh, that cleaner water than- just nature would give us? I mean, that's kind of, that, I think well, I, 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 I can't say that with certainty, but I can say yeah. this, that uh, credit is due to the municipalities in Northwest Arkansas. They've expended well over $300 million to improve water quality from wastewater treatment works through 2003. I've not accounted for any money since then, or excuse me, since 2003, they have spent over 300 million. Before that, I can't account for that. <clears throat> Clarify. What I can say is that we had one of the communities that was putting out hundreds of pounds of pollutants in the 80s out of their pipe, <clears throat> phosphorus. Mm -hmm. Today, they're putting out tens of pounds. Now, what I'm worried about going forward is as the population grows, if the wastewater treatment plants don't expand, and keep up with the growth, then will we see a return where the, the population outstrips the quality of the wastewater coming from those wastewater plants? And that's, that's the dialogue we're having right now. <clears throat> Predominantly at days like today, where we're having no rain, it's starting to dry um, on the upland areas, we have no runoff coming off points, a non-point source. So predominantly going forward into the heat of the summer, the wastewater treatment plants will be the contributing, uh, they, they will be, if there's gonna be impairment to the water, it will come from those generally. When we have a big rainfall event like we did <clears throat> last week, or two, excuse me, back the first of May where the river got up to 20 feet. Mm -hmm. 
in those runoff events, as many pollutants can move through the system in one storm down to 10 killer in one storm as those wastewater treatment plants might put into the river over the course of an entire year if it were just dry conditions. So that's something that needs to be remembered is that we don't wanna point fingers at any particular issue. What we're doing right now, we're, we're going around, we're shaking those door locks on those storefronts and we're identifying what doors are unlocked. And those are the ones we're focusing on. And so we're having those conversations right now. We're having uh, conversations with Arkansas over a couple of wastewater uh, discharge permits at a couple of communities. Don't know what the outcome's gonna be from that, but hopefully in the near term, uh, we'll have an answer to that. I'm hopeful that in July, we'll have a really good meeting at Siloam Springs to roll that out. When uh, uh, Dr. Hart and her colleagues at the Corps of Engineers finish up their flood study that we roll that out in the fall. And what it is now is we're doing a show and tell. We're trying to, uh, where we can go to the podium, not try to point fingers, but try to build a consensus to start training up folks if you see something, say something. If you know something's going wrong, let us know. Because right now is one of those opportunities where we have so much uh, money being infused into civil works and roads because of uh, the, the president's uh, agenda that we have this uh, stimulus money coming that we're trying to identify these uh, wastewater drinking water issues so that we earmark some of that money towards that. And uh, the problem in Oklahoma, <clears throat> I've lost count, but for our conversation tonight, there's, there's about 1,600 water systems in the state of Oklahoma that supply potable drinking water to communities. Of those numbers, 10% provide 90% of the water to Oklahomans. The remaining 90% remaining, uh, only provide 10% of the water. And a lot of these systems, um, a post office, a school, or a water system are getting to be the only identity, the only money maker for some of our communities in the state of Oklahoma. And so most of them are already leveraged to the neck. We're trying to keep up with the regulations. So we're trying to find where we can deploy these monies and, and build better works. Or if we can regionalize, we'll try to do that. But a lot of times when we regionalize and we take the, uh, the, uh, the community's uh, revenue. revenue away, but uh, you know, the, the purpose for the, why that community exists. And so we're trying to be mindful of that. So is Arkansas. So in, our, in Arkansas, in Arkansas it's going to grow so much. And then I'm going to be quiet and let you ask more questions. At some, <laughs> at some, at some point, Northwest Arkansas is going to have that million and million, two million, four people over there. They'll start reusing water, and so we'll see a die. We'll see a, a you know a, a, a drastic change over time. Not drastic, but a gradual change over time, where the dynamics will shift. Where we're saying about the base flow being higher, it may be the base flow goes down. Could be. And so that takes me to my next point, which is way back in the point in the uh, slideshow is in-stream flows. There's a lot of people that don't like the terminology in-stream flow. It has a negative connotation to industry, 
to some cities, to agriculture and so forth. But if we were to develop and, and recognize in-stream flow methodology studies on each of these major streams through Oklahoma that drain Oklahoma and these people are getting water permits for, that is the best economic development tool that we could ever deploy in the state of Oklahoma and Arkansas because then we would have absolute assurance what water is available for industry, for potable use, and what water would be used for fisheries and for aesthetics and other uses. And right now, we're not accounting for water in, those, uh, in, in that regard. And we have some places in the state of Oklahoma where there's not enough water for the number of gallons uh, or acre feet of water that have been permitted in some of our streams. Sometimes there's conflict. And so that's something that you'll hear some talk coming up. It was uh, discussed in the water plan run-up of 2012, but really there's some workings going on with that at the water board and some other uh, collaborators. But right now we, that is a, a gorilla in the room that we need to address because as I said earlier, GRDA's board of directors recognizes that as much water as they have under their jurisdiction, water is going to outstrip the value of their uh, electric generation in 20 years. So. Well, so I, I, uh, I don't feel like, God, I feel like we've got hours left and and i want there to be hours left of of our talk and your presentation and well you're welcome you're welcome to break this up into two pod pack, uh, podcasts I, that's exactly what i'm suggesting or maybe even three okay. i think i think two is reasonable and three is is hopeful i kind of i kind of wish there's and i think you do have info for three or at least some ed toids that would uh, would well, probably fill up a whole third episode uh, well one one of the one of the problems that i have is that there's so much going on in my head because when you try to encapsulate the story of the Illinois River into a one hour discussion, it can't be done because there's so many things that have happened during my 40 years approximate that have impacted there have been court decisions, there have uh, uh, court decisions, there have been tragedies, there have been flood events, there has been development, there has been politics, you name it, we've done it. And uh, the, the Illinois River, again, is just one river system in the state of Oklahoma. And all the other river systems in the state of Oklahoma, there is a champion or champions around each of those watersheds that could consume this time too. But all of the things we're talking about here tonight are, for the most part, either have impacts that have been mitigated or abated or potentially could cause problems in the future for why we're here. And that is people want to be outdoors floating the Illinois River and other streams and fishing. And so to cut short this discussion, I think and those people that really want to figure out what's going on or to judge me as being a, uh, an old coot or something uh, would you know, we'd be doing a disservice to them. So I'm willing to stay on a little bit longer if you want to endure. Well, so, so my first Indulgent. statement there is, is anybody that wants to, to talk smack and call you an old coot. Uh, I think this group is willing to, uh, to meet them on the gravel bar per se. 
and uh, and defend your honor because I think that's uh, um, uh, just absolutely a crazy thing to say. Let's uh, let's I tell you what. Let's put a pin in it tonight because what I don't want to do is is water down okay. or or run run too fast through your brain because I think this is a, a unique opportunity for us to capture. Um, uh, I mean, I've already learned. I mean, I feel I now feel like I was dumb an hour ago you're on, not. on the waters that I love so much. And so I want to keep it going. Yeah, you're, uh, you're not dumb. And, and certainly if you want to circle back around next Thursday night or uh, Tuesday night, we can do part two and then do a part three. But, but really, nobody has really ever sat down with me uh, and, and tried to capture my thoughts at large like I'm portraying tonight. The closest you'll come to that will be with a couple of papers that I've written uh, over the course of my career. But this uh, GRDA documentary film, Our Borrowed Waters, that's on YouTube, is something that's worth watching. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just hits the tip of the iceberg. And then that will, uh, that will grease the skids for you to ask even more questions. But Trevor, if you will, you look like you'd be the be the keeper of the the time and and where things are in the, the conversation let's start at the uh the powerpoint on the wastewater treatment plants when we get together next that sounds great man that sounds awesome okay. yeah that's that's uh thank you for committing to uh uh to to letting us keep this thing going and, and really getting the best benefit of it and i gotta tell you how how absolutely uh uh, special it is to me, and I, I think I can speak for the other guys to uh, uh, to hear this history from you. And uh, um, I, Dalton has been uh, this has been a long time coming, and Dalton has been pushing and trying to coordinate uh, uh, us getting to the point of having you on here for like this. And uh, uh, I'm actually happy that we're doing it now, where we have a few more listeners built up. Uh, so that so that people can really enjoy and understand and get to hear your message. And so uh, I'm just, I'm over the moon and I can't wait to do this again. Uh, call it next week or whenever we get to record, uh, record the next part. I don't want to say part two. And then I, I bet we get to a three. So, so I'm going to wrap up by saying this, that I didn't do this on my own. I've had people that have invested in me as a boy. My uh, father sent me to Canacut camp. Uh, in Branson, Missouri, and we would float to Buffalo for five days in canoes and get all our gear wet by flipping over or something. But uh, I've had a good fortune to be around rivers all of my life, and that's why I never professionally achieved any high marks because I, <laughs> sitting in a classroom, I was wanting to be out the door, okay, and uh, doing something. But the, I would like to talk about uh, some folks that uh, in our next meeting that. Uh, are important people, and these are folks that were involved in the Manhattan Project, people that were dean of the veterinarian school at OSU, people that were lawyers and doctors and so forth, that I had the good fortune to sit down and listen to them tell me about water as a young adult, but um, I don't want to get into politics, and I don't know how it'd be received, but I'd like to talk about Ed Edmondson a little bit in our next deal as a congressman, because uh, there was a man that worked for him by the name of Lacey Grimes, 
that was always on an old houseboat down at Lake Eufaula at Bell Star Marina that my dad had um, uh, down there in a slip. And he would be there every time that we would go over the course of about a two-year period. And he always had a bottle of the Vanish Vanquish Aspirin. Vanquish, and they don't make that anymore. And he'd have a bottle of some kind of bourbon or something he was drinking, but he'd spend hours talking to me about water and tell me about this congressman, Ed Edmondson, who I never met till I took this job. His name was Lacey Grimes. He was his first assistant when he was in Congress. And uh, he's long gone, died of brain cancer. That's why he was on the houseboat getting away from his wife so he could take those copious amounts of <laughs> aspirin and alcohol. And if he fell out on the, uh, the bunk bed of the boat or whatever and stayed there for days, then you know, it'd be no worry to his mom, or, I mean, to his uh, wife or children. And so it's that, that's one thing I'd like to talk about. And then, uh, man, I had a thought that just went by. Hmm. Ed, we'll Why give not? some people some, some homework for our, we're going to link the Our Borrowed Waters okay. to the episode one drop of this. And then for sure, we got you booked already for a um episode two but in between guys go and check out that video do a little homework of what we've been talking about and then well that'll get you up to speed um okay. for part two all right well y'all take care and thank you uh trevor i'm looking forward to meeting you and chris and dalton thank you for the times we've had out in the water and uh, yeah. through willingness i'll have uh Catherine lee contact you uh who is the uh, uh lobotomist and uh <laughs> <laughs> i thought a lobotomy was a uh, uh lobotomist she draws she draws blood not, right. not takes out brain. lobotomist and, uh, chris, chris uh, and i'm you're, sorry you're, chris, uh, I, y'all are still in our prayers at saint francis what's happened there and i appreciate health care thank you so uh, yeah it's um, been a, it's been a tough few weeks uh, so and even ha- impacted my hometown, Muskogee, uh, out on North Country Club Road. Who would have ever thought that somebody living on North Country Club Road in Muskogee, Oklahoma, would go up and do something as, yeah. as vicious as that? But uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a tough few. Uh, thank you for that. So, all right, Ed, we will talk at you uh, next week. And listeners, uh, I, I hope you're as excited as we are. So, um, thank you, sir, and have a good evening. Talk you too. Soon. Good night. Good night. Well, that was neat. No, that was, that, that's that. No, no, no. Do it justice. Oh my God. I Come on. See, now I'm so self-conscious about it. <laughs> I... Oh, Hey, don't let me forget. I've got, uh, speaking of that, so we, we got the pic, the, the, the pictures, what do they call it? Stickers. Mm-hmm. So that was neat stickers, which is. I'll hold it up right here. There it is. There I am. Oh my god, that makes that makes me so happy. But <laughs> I owe a couple people have reached out and want some stickers, and I have failed with everything going on this past couple of weeks um, to get them in the mail. So you two, please hold me responsible for getting some sticker packs in the mail uh, to listeners, which is really cool. So anyway, yeah. okay, yep. Yeah. Well, uh, that that was neat. Is that better? It was. Is no, that, that was that, that was. That was yes, and I almost almost was going to ask you to hold off until like episode three or four is done with Mister Fight, and like give like a big booming one. But uh, I think I think appropriate ones are good in the middle. What you guys been up to? 
Um, well, uh, it was nice to actually see you guys for once um, last mm-hmm. week, mm-hmm. Uh, even though we fished in a, a whole glass of chocolate Yoohoo and Nesquik and we floated the Willy Wonka gore. <laughs> the Oompa Loompas were out. Well, Man, okay, so they we, were. We almost we almost canceled that. Like like the three of us were. I mean, it was a get to the river game time decision. Even though we saw the 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 generation schedule. So so listeners, what we were doing we we had a float planned on the lower Illinois River um, below Ten Killer Dam. They have been, um, and we, we've talked about this in previous episodes that, you know, if they are, do not have the generators running and they're kind of just at that minimum flow sluice gate type deal, um, you know, 34 to hundred CFS, uh, or 300, whatever, whatever that number is, I'm sorry. It's, uh, but, but relatively low for that river. Um, it's very weightable, very fishable, uh, fun place to get out and stand in some cold water. Um, but at about 34, 3,500 CFS with two generators running, uh, we had a grand plan that we were going to float it. And, uh, you know, it's the time of year that the striper should be coming up the river, chasing shad, chasing stalker rainbows. There's drum, there's hybrid, there's smallies. There's just a, a I mean, spoonbill. There's a, a plethora of aquatic life in that river, especially when they're running two generators. And we're going to get a nice nice float and i think i mean i was probably the most giddy for a day of fishing that i've been in a couple of years and then the night before we start texting each other because they opened 10 tainer gates to two they feet literally opened the floodgates they opened the flood yeah exactly <laughs> the they literal floodgates, floodgates. <laughs> and doubled our cfs basically yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was right around six thousand CFS when uh, uh, when we launched um, Saturday morning. And uh, but you know this was we're on a, a limited window of time with Trevor's availability um, pre-child and um, and frankly I needed to be on the river so bad after the last few weeks. I just needed some some aqua therapy. And, um, so we, 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 we almost force fed it. I hate to say that, but we, as mm-hmm. intelligent, um, fishers who are generally safety minded and we have a safety engineer, uh, as part of the group, um, we kind of force fed a little bit. Um, but we went down and met at, um, Gore landing on the, again, in a very capable whitewater raft. With right. donning yeah. life jackets, we did it right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was an informed totally, decision it was, it was based totally, off risk. We learned that we could safely float that river under those conditions, uh, appropriately. You know, yeah, in, in that kind of raft with that with that with that kind of you know equipment. Yeah, um, yeah, did not feel at risk at all. In fact, it was a pleasant float, really across the board. Mm-hmm. No, it was it was it was a good float, and we're talking about we have a. 13 foot max on inflatable boats raft that is a whitewater raft uh, with a rowing frame. And, um, and, and so, and I, I don't even think the water was too fast for like our sink tips were getting down. Our presentations were good. Um, it was just presenting flies into Yoohoo. Um, yeah. I don't know if a fish saw a fly. Actually one did fish. Trevor, what'd you get? 
Basic. That stupid skipjack. Dude, that was dude. hilarious. <laughs> Never yeah. seen one that big, man. That was yeah. fun. Was, yeah. I thought it was like a, a 12 trout. inch. Yeah, like 12 inches. Yeah. It was it was an impressive. We thought we'd knocked uh, rainbow trouts off the list up until it was in the net. Um, bobber fish, because uh, because Trevor um, took it on the chin and said, "I will pick up a trout for us," and uh, <laughs> and let us down miserably. <laughs> I did well. I mean, you don't I don't think you did. You that was you impressive. Down, but, we caught a new yeah. species in the boat. That's true. We put a new species in the boat. Oh my gosh. But, but the day started, I mean, like we, we, we said, you know what, let's get to Gore Landing. We're going to, to commit. We're hooked up. We're there. We're packed up. Let's get to Gore Landing, meet Trevor from Norman and cook up some breakfast. So D got on the grill and, and whipped up some awesome uh, breakfast burritos. Those were your best, by the way. They're pretty good. That was a really good batch. I think breakfast it was just been so long that you, since you've had one. That's why it was so good. That's probably, I, I don't know. Man. Those are really freaking the, the hot <laughs> sauce. I don't think I'd had it with the hot sauce previously. And that we just, did, we did right it with the hot level. sauce, the cozy hot sauce. It was good. Yeah. The hot sauce was, that was a good, that was a good if, hot if, sauce. If Aaron is listening, we put cilantro in them. Oh. No, you didn't. Yeah. You were not in yours. Okay, good. I was like, I had cilantro. <laughs> <laughs> I did not have cilantro. For eat those your that, eat uh, your roughage, Chris. Eat your nope. vegetables. There was there was bacon. There was eggs. Um, there was was there cheese? Chris's yeah. came with a packaged yeah. toy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you were just jacking with me too, because that first, I think you put like about a gallon. You forecasted which side I would bite first. And there was like a gallon of, of hot sauce on that one first <laughs> bite. And uh, I got choked up for a second, but it was, it was money. Now, those were good. And, and frankly, I, I'll say this to you, listeners. The whole getting out and fishing, our fishing trip started at the house. Our fishing trip started as we're driving down the road getting fired up, getting excited about fishing, talking about fishing, talking about the flows, talking about, man, should I throw on a five inch per second line? Um, you know, maybe shorten up the leader. What, what kind of fly we're going to look at? Okay, let's wait and get, see the water clarity. You know, a fishing trip starts when you are hanging out with your buddies and you're cooking up breakfast and getting ready. It's the whole deal. That's, I think it's my point. I'm, I'm getting very, I have whiskey. Uh, it's uh, getting very um, um, soft about it, right? Whatever. But um, the fishing trip doesn't, doesn't start when you yeah, push doesn't off have to be night. just yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it was it, we were together all day. I mean, there was maximum effort all day. I think we rolled out of my house about five thirty in the morning. Um, no, we didn't. Seven thirty. Seven thirty. Yeah, you guys. Yeah, seven thirty. It wasn't yeah. that bad. Okay. Uh, but anyway. I, Point being that that enjoy the whole experience. Um, it's not for the, the trip doesn't start with the first cast. The trip doesn't start with with uh, pushing off the riverbank, you know. Anyway, but yeah, it was it was um, it ended up being a safe float, um, and that was it. It was a good float. But I'm, I'm waiting for the Tanner gates Tanner gates to close. And just a, a solid two generators, the water to clear up, and we're gonna do it again. Matter of mm -hmm. fact, I'm I I'm gonna how can Sarah hear you? 
from from where we're at no she can't hear me okay so one week after your baby's born we're gonna kidnap you <laughs> and and we're gonna go do it again and I'm, I'm excited about that float um a few more times this summer as much as i want to get on the upper for smallies i, w- I want to do that float i need mm-hmm. to like i need help like going ahead and hatching a plan to like enlist my parents where they're like we have to spend a full day with baby I'm like ah yeah babe like parents want the baby for a bit you know and i just <laughs> I, mean, I just need to go you know okay now admittedly sarah's gonna need to go as well right so if Good you've luck. got parents watching kid, then we have the multiple rafts. Bring Sarah. She needs phototherapy on the river with drinks. I mean, I don't know your all's feeding plan in the world of no baby formula. We still don't know yet. Yeah. I mean, whatever that is, right. Pump and dump. That's the word I learned with Amy, pump uh-huh. and dump, uh-huh. whatever. But uh, um uh, we need to get you out sooner rather than later. And, uh, and we need to get Sarah with you too. But uh, anyway, I'm excited about it. I think we did maximum effort that day, but I do want to talk um, uh, about what Dalton discovered when we drove over the dam. Oh yeah. That was, yeah. did you, did you notice us swerving across the other side of the dam, Trevor, to get a look we, when we drove over the water coming out of the generation tubes was chocolate milk the water coming from the spillway was as clear as possible and there was a distinct line between the two it was an incredible sight and i'm our thoughts were that water from the spillway was coming out the top and the all the flooding in the past has just got the undertow or undercurrent where the penstocks are at the bottom pushing all that the dam exactly so that was our thought so don't know if the generation will be a constant cloudy silty mess for the foreseeable summer um so we'd be interested to see when that clears up but you know i've talked to people man and uh, this morning i was talking to another guy and and he said he they he's a bait fisherman or a conventional gear fisherman but they regularly ran jet boats from gore landing up the river all the way to the dam during generation and he said it was gin clear mm-hmm. during generation so i just don't I, know it's got to be attributed to all right the flooding now. recently i think yeah. that's that's my theory well we and all those little out. tributaries that are like coming in um yeah, there's just so much junk flood flooding in that river that's not even coming from the lake. Mm-hmm. True, true, yeah. Yeah, but this was a very distinct line right at the um, uh, the generation gates uh, from the um, from the Tainer gates, the spillway gates. So, um, and it, it was it was weird. Anyway, it was it was interesting. More to learn there. We're definitely gonna do that trip some more. And. Um, uh yeah dude that's anyway that's what i know about things in life well i wish i had more time to talk about all i've been thinking about for the last two months is striper um i'm i'm so excited uh that we're getting jake miller um right Mm -hmm. jake Jake miller yeah jake's gonna be on next week um to talk about the pat daly invitational yep yep 
talk about striper fishing. And then I, I'm just, I've got to get back on that river and, and find the striper this summer before, you know, before it's too late. Um, and then still like, I, I really want to get out into some of the lakes, you know, I, I'd like for us to try to get out on Texoma or something and take some of those mm-hmm. sinking tip lines. And I'm in love with a striper. <laughs> I just need it, man. I need that big, I, <laughs> Ever since my my redfish trip that just went awry, yeah. I I need that big fish. I I have mm-hmm. to have it. Yeah. Well, so we're gonna do a little. We're gonna try and do some lake fishing a little later in the season. Uh, and yeah, exactly that. Do some. You know, we need some some fast sinking lines and some probably some electronics to find these fish a little deeper. And and that's all going to be dependent on, uh, uh, you know forage sources and water temperatures as far as where that thermocline is and um but that's that's gonna be a lot of fun but that uh but i think we're we're still we've got quite a window and and i think we pick jake's brain whenever he's on to um whether or not uh what that season is for uh to be able to expect good quality striper coming up the lower illinois from the Arkansas chasing Chad, chasing stalker rainbows. Um, anyway, so it's yeah, so that's crazy. This time last year, all we were talking about was was smallies, and I we haven't even really gotten out for them yet. Well, I've got a trip this Saturday. I'm taking a guy out, and I'm and I'm and for smallies on the upper, and I'm super fired up for that. Jealous. Um, and so, I, anyway, no, I'm not over not over smallmouth by any means, but I do I would like to get a few. Nah, it's that's that's my plan definitely like you know august yeah i i think we just keep it keep it going and then there was something that happened with um uh alex i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher his last name but a phd candidate from osu was doing a striper study on the lower illinois as part of part of his uh um I don't know if it was his dissertation or just part of the the doctoral program but he um he had some sort of tracking of stripers in January coming up the upper Illinois. It makes sense. Just looking for that consistent temperature. Yeah. Yeah. You said, you said that this weekend too. I mean, if it's 54 degrees coming out of the dam, it's 54 degrees coming out of the dam. So if, if it's warmer, it's warmer, if it's cooler, it's cooler. That makes sense actually. Yeah. Right. So uh, Dalton, you uh, uh, talk about water coming over a dam, man. You had a uh, a great day yesterday at uh, Spavanaugh Spillway. Absolutely, man! It was just one of those days where the gauge height was just perfect to stand right under the spillway. Um, hot and steamy, and the park is actually closed right now to campers um, mm-hmm. due to that last flood. There's exposed electrical. They're getting it sort. They're getting getting it fixed. Should be open in July, but I had the whole park to myself. There was a couple families there um, walking in to two grumpy old guys um, were visibly frustrated and say, there's nothing working. Just leave. No, like, <laughs> okay. I'll show and you. proceeded to just murder fish. I mean, almost every cast quality sand bass. Um, I think six different species, five, if you ask some people, um, but it was just, it was a, it was one of those days you just needed, man. Like Trevor was said, he needs the big fish. I, I just needed a good solo day and just 
murdering fish. It was it was a fun day. Did it get Dude, cool uh, over here under all this shade? Oh, <laughs> you got me on that one. You got me on that one. That's, that's cool. okay. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Ahead, I'm gonna go ahead and talk about that. So, the 15 by 15 species challenge, the Oklahoma Fly Fishing Challenge, is fun. It is educational. Um, I actually agree that we should not give credit for species that are not appropriately claimed or appropriately identified. That being said, the white bass versus striper versus hybrid debate. I'm going to start taking fin samples. If Dude, we can I, I am offended in no way because it was a total question mark to begin with. I threw it up there. I snuck one by last year, I think, on my hybrid. So, but, um, but that is the most, your fish yesterday was the most striperest hybrid I've ever seen in my life. I don't think there are normally striped bass in that watershed. I'm going to say that out loud. I don't think there are. But that is the most striperisty, stripery hybrid I've ever seen in my life, and uh, and it became a and, and we're 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 laughing and joking because it became quite a topic today, and and I don't know that it ever got heated, um, but one thing about fly fishers, we also have lots of opinions, um, mm-hmm. and uh, one thing I think we do well as a, a you and I a trio group here is I I'm open to people's opinions. And I'm okay to be wrong about things, um, but I also am going to speak out when I feel like, like I'm right. And, um, you know, I don't, don't need to beat it with a dead horse. And, and, and frankly, what's, what's a lot of fun about this, is, and you said you made a comment in the middle of that, is that, okay, cool, we're going to catch more fish. Yeah, I said, dang right. it, we got to go fishing again. So. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Well, Such yeah. a horrible thing. We're gonna we're gonna talk to Jake next week, and he's gonna give us the honey hole, and we're gonna go catch a thirty pound striper. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I think very highly of of, of Mr. Jake Miller, and when um, we've hung out and talked uh, several times, especially around TU events, and I don't expect to get a damn honey hole. <laughs> no. <laughs> but but we don't have to we've, we've got these great watersheds right and so i mean the fish are out there and it's going to be great and um and so anyway that, that i don't know why i had to digress into that but uh um let's get let's get trevor to home depot um listeners we rambled on this one sorry <laughs> yeah, about that yep well, come back I for can ed fight i can part hear my, two, my my very pregnant wife uh walking up and down the halls right now i'm sorry sarah <laughs> it's dalton's fault no you guys seriously come back for ed ed fight part two um we are very privileged to um be in his presence um so hope you guys come back for it what a legend all right guys well this has been a blast um much needed uh i'm glad we did a longer podcast with uh with uh, you know the rescheduling over the last couple of weeks but uh the fishing is 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 gonna is gonna be good this summer um still lots of things uh, to be excited about can't wait to talk about um the pat daily and uh the what is it the pat it's not the pat daily invitational it's the it's pat daily invitational even though you don't need to be invited okay the pat daily invitational <laughs> yes. um which is an open invite um yeah. uh <laughs> excited to, to to talk about uh 
uh, memorialize uh, the legend uh, Pat Daly and and talk mm-hmm. about his legacy and uh, and talk about some excellent fishing um, that that we're excited to to get onto this summer uh, with Jake Miller again. We'll have Ed fight back. A um, few other really cool special guests lined up over the summer. Um, I'm I'm very excited for what we got coming up. So. Uh, guys, make sure you if you get out on the river, uh, get out on the lake, whatever, uh, you know, hit us up on Facebook. Let us know what you're catching. Um, would love to would love to see what what people are are pulling out of the water. Um, uh, so send us pictures. Uh, we'll, we'll always love to see that stuff. And if you have anything that you want to hear or see on the podcast again, uh, comment and, and let us know. And don't forget to uh, subscribe to us on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. As always, this is the maxon inflatable boats creek adventures podcast presented by lone bison fly tying tables that's lone bison fly tables.com um lone bison fly tying tables premium quality functional art and also go ahead and make sure you check out our friends over at the oklahoma river warriors on facebook guys this is a blast i gotta go to home depot and get this done before i go to bed um so i'll definitely catch up with you guys this week and we'll get this posted here in the next couple of days but uh dalton chris always good to see you guys see you man later